Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. On May 27, 1997, a US Air Force pilot, Amy Svoboda, crashed her A-10 bomber into the ground at full throttle, dying instantly. It was during a nighttime training exercise when Amy, completely disoriented, thought she was climbing out of a manoeuvre, but was actually flying upside down. So she pulled back on the controls and it sent her straight into the ground at around 650 kilometres per hour. I can't begin to imagine the shock she must have felt, but then how little time she had to feel it. Can you imagine, that, imagine thinking that you are completely oriented? You know exactly what's going on. You're in complete control. You're confident only to realise that when you start to climb what you think are to new heights, you crash and burn into the ground. Imagine the crushing realisation that everything you thought was right was wrong. I think I've quoted, quoted the great theologian at least once here, and I'm not talking about Tim Keller, I'm talking about, of course, Jim Carey, who said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. The stuff that we think about in life, that as we climb the ladder, thinking that it's taking us to new heights, we realise maybe not as immediately as Amy Svoboda did, but at some point in our life, we realise that that climb is actually leading us to crash and burn. I can't help but think many of us, even those of us who call Jesus Lord, live this way. Rather than the sudden crash, although sudden crashes certainly can happen. But maybe for some of us, even today, we're in the middle of a crash and burn. The things we thought were important. We thought we were flying the right way up, but actually we've realised we were inverted. And as we've started to climb, things haven't worked out the way we thought they would. It's only when we see the orientation that we have is upside down that we can begin to understand what Jesus lived and taught to us. Because Jesus came to, in, in, to do a lot of things. One of those things was to show us that everything we value and everything that we think is important is actually upside down. And his agenda for us wasn't just to save us and send us to heaven, but was to show us to be truly human, you need to fly right way up. This is true humanity, flying right way up. It's only when we understand this that we can start to understand and unpack the things that Jesus wanted us to understand. It's no wonder we, live up, we fly upside down because it's exactly how the whole world is oriented. When you think of God looking on the world and you see, even when you look yourself and you see the chaos that is in the world and the hurt and pain that's in the world, sure, we get moments of celebration, we get good things happening. And depending on your perspective, one of those good things happened yesterday when, uh, when Charlie became king. I'll just put a dot, dot, dot after that. Uh, but when you look around, you can see and you can understand, yeah, I, I would use this phrase to describe the world that I see that we are living upside down. And when people start to, th to climb and think that they're moving up in the world, they actually crash and burn. 
Jesus wants us to understand what right way up living looks like. What right way up living looks like. It's interesting that one of the early statements made about the first Christians by people who were, and it was a negative comment, one of the descriptions of what they were doing was this, these people who have turned the world upside down as they were going about the mission of Jesus in the known world at the time and doing all the things that Jesus taught, the observation was these people have turned the world upside down. When you begin to see who Jesus was and is and what He taught about life and living, you start to see that actually these people were turning the world right side up. Right side up. And Matthew's biography about the life and teaching of Jesus gives us three chapters that act something like a manifesto or an executive summary of all that Jesus taught. All that He taught about this right side up living. And we've come to call it the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. And it's chapters five to seven in the biography that Matthew wrote about the life and teachings of Jesus. And Matthew introduces uh, this, this Sermon on the Mount with two really strong statements that as we read it today in English, we might just breeze past. But there's an introduction, the way that Matthew sets this up is really important. There's two phrases that he uses when he, starts, when he says that Jesus drew aside. The two things are, the first one is he sat down. He sat down. See, this is what used to happen back in those days. I, I reckon we, I could make a good case that we should do this again, is that the teacher sat while everyone else stood. C can we try that? Can we try doing that each Sunday? We'll do it for three months and then we'll review it at the end. I sit down while you all stand. No, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it going this way. But in that day, that's what would happen. Je the, the rabbi would sit and everyone would stand around. So this is, Matthew is saying, this is important. Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, sat down. He was about to do something important. The second phrase he uses is, and he opened his mouth. It's like, well, of course he opened his mouth. That's what you have to do when you speak. But no, this, this, is, a, this is a weighty phrase. Uh, the the, the uh, New Testament for everyone translation says, he took a deep breath. He sat down and he took a deep breath. What Jesus is about to say is really important. That's what Matthew wants us to understand as we get into chapter five of his biography about the life of Jesus. This is Matthew setting us, the readers, up to pay attention. Jesus is teaching us the life that He wants us to live, right side up living. He doesn't want us to crash and burn anymore. He wants to flip the plane over so that all of us can live right side up. And the intro to this teaching, the introduction to the teaching called the Sermon on the Mount is this thing that if you've been around church for a while, you understand it's this funny word, the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes. And that is the series we're doing over the next few weeks. We're looking at those statements that Jesus made that we call the Beatitudes. So if you think about it, Sermon on the Mount, Manifesto, Executive Summary, the essence of what Jesus taught, summarised quite succinctly for us. And then the introduction to that, all of what that is, the introduction is like the essence of this, this Executive Summary, this Manifesto. So here we've got in the Beatitudes, the essence of the essence of the teaching of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you love Him, dial up in this series, tune in, understand this is Jesus' heart for us as His people. This is what He wants us to understand more than just the head level, but drop into our hearts to understand everything that He was on about. I reckon as Jesus opened His mouth, you know what I love when I'm standing up here and I look out and look at all your, your beautiful faces. I love, because we're Baptists, we don't make much noise, except a mm, mm, 
Mm. Especially in prayer. Mm, mm, yes, Lord. Oh, yeah. I love nodding heads. I'm not seeing any. May we go? There's one there. Thank you. I love nodding heads. Like, because what it's saying to me is, I agree. You, good, good, good point. It's like us saying, you know, good, preach, like standing up with the Bible in hand, waving at it. That's the Baptist equivalent of that, right? Just nodding your head. Like, yes, I agree. I don't reckon when Jesus started to teach this stuff that there were many nodding heads. I reckon there would have been a whole lot of, what? Shaking heads. Nah, that can't be right. So we've got, we've got the, the manifesto, the, the executive summary of Jesus. We've got the intro to that, the essence of the essence. And then the first word that Matthew puts in the mouth of Jesus for us to read is this word that we, used, we use a lot in the church. The very first word that Jesus speaks, He sat down and He's opened His mouth. The first word that comes out of His mouth is blessed. Nodding heads, come on. We know there's something about you, Jesus. We knew it. We knew there was something incredible about you and now you're about to tell us what it means to be blessed. Come on. And then he goes, blessed, ah. Oh yeah, come on, give it to me. Give it to me, blessed, ah. Yes, come on, what blessed, blessed are the, blessed are the. And we're on the edge of our seat right now because the one who we think could be the one is about to tell us how we get blessed. Blessed according to the dictionary, means divinely or supremely favoured. That's a good religious definition of blessed. Another definition that we use more commonly in our world today is simply fortunate, unblessed. Either intentional by some supreme being, whatever, whoever you wanna call that or attribute it to, or just plain fortunate, lucky, gifted, blessed. That's what it means to be blessed. You look at someone and you go, their life is going well, they're blessed. I reckon if we, as we think about people who would be blessed, we might, we might picture in our mind someone like this young lady, you know, clearly, clearly a, a little bit of affluence. I mean, she's in a high rise apartment. She's sitting, she's got a, her greenery on the shelf. She's put her book down. Uh, it's, a, it's a European title. Uh, so she's very smart, unless she's European herself, I guess. But she's having a nice cup of coffee after put, reading the book. She's got a nice blanket there on trend. She's staring out her apartment window, having a reflective moment. Blessed. Blessed. Maybe we think about this bloke who is clearly um, a trendsetter. Uh, he's got nice white shoes on. Uh, I never will wear a pair of white shoes, but my shoes are actually the black version of those white shoes, which is a little bit embarrassing. But anyway... Um, he is, he's clearly waiting for friends. He's headed out after work. He's sitting at the bar. He's, wa- he's waiting. He's looking out the window, waiting for all his friends to arrive. He's got his phone in his hand. They're going, yep, yeah, we're almost there. He's going, I'm looking for you because we're about to have a great night. I'm cashed up. I'm ready to go. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling blessed, blessed. What about this picture? Come on. This is blessed, right? This is blessed. Family, Family, having a big family that gets together still after all the kids are grown up. You can see like the matriarch and the patriarch there. You can, you can pick the patriarch, he's got a checkered shirt on. That's what, that's what old blokes wear. But the family have all got together and there's love there. Look, there's three generations. They're all at the beach. They're having a family holiday. Blessed, hashtag blessed, right? That's, that's, that's the photo we put on Facebook so everybody knows how blessed we are, Okay. What about this picture? This is, this is blessed for me. I, I, can, I can just see Brooke and my faces on these two people as I'm feeding her. Because <laughs> I feed Brooke grapes all the time. 
I've just, I've just had this recent fascination, probably, probably moving from Toowoomba to the bay and uh, seeing more of the water of these massive yachts, like maybe, maybe, I don't know how, but one day, maybe I have to wait until heaven to get my yacht, but this would be, this would be cool. This is, this is blessed, like this couple, in love, free, on the ocean, blessed. Okay, let, let, let's get a bit more serious. What about this picture? Hey, are we blessed? Are we blessed? This is us last week. Blessed, you know, as a church family, we are blessed. I'm blessed to be a part of this family. My family is blessed to be a part of this wider family. We love it and you are blessed too. These are, these are things that, we, pictures we'd look at, people we'd look at and say, yeah, they're blessed, they're blessed. And you've all nodded and I've heard. You've even spoken, well done. Blessed. What about this woman? Blessed. Is she blessed? Here's the irony. Blessed are the, yes, Jesus, tell us, tell us, tell us, poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. It's how Jesus opens the executive summary of his teaching, the intro to that executive summary, the essence of the essence and the first phrase out of his mouth, blessed are the poor in spirit. And this point, there's no nodding going on. There is, what are you talking about? This is upside down. No, no, it's right side up. The word Matthew uses here is the Greek word for poor, which is patokos. Can you say it? Patokos. I got on YouTube and made sure I got the pronunciation right because I would have just said patochos. Patokos, patokos. Patokos doesn't just mean poor. It doesn't mean like they're rich and I'm poor. It doesn't mean when the, the, the interest rate that I had fixed for two years and it hits me in June, July, I'm gonna be poor. That doesn't know what poor means. What patokos means here is desperately poor, destitute, considered cursed. Like the difference between being poor and being reduced to begging. That's the word that Jesus used this day. Patokos, blessed are the patokos. Like think, think, think of this, yeah, that picture there. Not, 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 just, not just poor and not just begging, but actually so ashamed of their state that they can't show their face. Have you seen a homeless person on the side of the road in the city covering their face while they held out their hand? That's what this patokos means. A pato- someone who is patokos is totally dependent on the mercy of others. And that statement, that statement that I just said helps us, to, helps us to start to understand what Jesus is talking about here. To help us out even further, Matthew adds, so this, Jesus, Luke records Jesus saying this as well, um, but Luke just says patokos. He doesn't say the next word that Matthew throws in as well, but Matthew helps us to understand more of what Jesus is saying by adding the word pneuma, patokos pneuma, which means poor in spirit poor in spirit. So we get this idea, this, 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 this clarifying word from Matthew to help us understand more. Matthew's, the reason Matthew does this is he's writing to a Jewish audience, whereas Luke is writing to a Gentile audience, a non-Jewish audience. Matthew is writing this because he wants the reader to start to think about this Hebrew word, ani, A-N-I, ani, which this, this word ani, when it started off in Hebrew language, meant poor, but over time it developed into this person to describe a person 
who was poor in spirit, who was totally dependent upon the mercy of God. So whether it be material poverty or some other kind of poverty that reduced a person, like think of Job. Think of the story of Job. For those who know the story of Job, he became patokos numa. He was ani. He was poor. And he was reduced to a complete and utter dependence upon the provision through the mercy of God. This is not, this, this poor that Jesus uses here this day is not someone who chooses a life of frugality. It's one who is reduced to abject spiritual poverty. And this is often, you can't, you can't fully remove this from material poverty, by the way. You can't fully remove it from material poverty because often that's the pathway that leads us to patokos numa. So this ani, this, this patokos numa is not about not being wealthy either. It's not about not being wealthy, nor is it about self-loathing. That's not the poor idea that we get here. Both of these ideas would contradict other parts of Scripture, other teachings of Jesus, other right-side-up teachings of Jesus. No, but this patokos pneuma is about realising your desperate state before God, your spiritual poverty, and becoming fully dependent on His mercy. As we started to have kids, uh, Brooke and I, and uh, we realised pretty quickly that we'd grown up in very different families. <laughs> we already knew that, but we didn't know that as our lives together. Even, even these days, you start to realise, man, we came from completely different families. But one of those was the way we dealt with kids when they were sick. I came from a family of, here's a cup of cement. Go and drink it and leave me alone. Brooke came from a family of, if there's an issue straight to the emergency department. <laughs> I don't, like neither of those extremes, but, but pretty much. So when the kids hurt themselves or got sick and Brooke said those words that made my heart sink through the floor, I think I might need to take them to ED. Go, no! Could be hours in a waiting room. I haven't got time for this. I haven't got time for sick kids. Yes, see, terrible father. But he, there would be times when, like I remember Fletcher a couple of times, he, he fell wrestling with his brothers, big gash, blood pouring out everywhere. I'm going, just put a Band-Aid on it, be right. You know, dads, you know what I'm talking about? Anyone else here like me? You don't want to put your hand up because your wife's sitting next to you, fair enough. <laughs> It'll be right. We just, we, we've got some steri strips, we've got some Band-Aids, just Band-Aid that thing up. Like you can see the bone, but that's okay. We'll just, we'll just close it up. We don't, we don't need to go. We don't need to go to that place that I just don't want to go because I'm be up all night, I'm not going to get sleep and it's, it's fine. No, no, there was something much wiser in my wife than in me when you know that you're in need of medical attention, when, when you're that sick, when you're that hurt, when you're that cut open, there is a realisation, I need to go for medical intervention. Praise God we have access to that in our country. This is like when you realise that you're poor in spirit, just as you're medically sick and unlike me who wants to put it off and put it off, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Often we do that when it comes to our spiritual state. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm, I'm flying, I'm flying the plane, I'm okay, I'm okay. Jesus is saying, no, blessed are those who realise they're not okay. Blessed are those who realise their state before a holy and perfect God and come to terms with their betokos, numa, and realise they are not in control that they don't have it all sorted out, that spiritually they're bleeding, spiritually they're sick and they need intervention from a God who can help them and who delights in helping them. 
The poor in spirit have a developed self-awareness, knowing their state before God and their need for his mercy. I love this quote from John Stott. The poor man in the Old Testament is the one who is both afflicted and unable to save himself and who therefore looks to God for salvation while recognizing that he has no claim upon him. That picture again of I've covered my face and I'm holding out my hand. God, I need your mercy. Like think of the tax collector praying alongside the Pharisee. The Pharisee comes, I'm flying the plane really well here, God, thank you. Thank you, you made me who I am. Thank you that I'm, I'm good and I do all the right things. And thank you that I'm not like this tax collector here. And he walks away from praying in the temple. And the tax collector comes on his knees before God in that patokos posture with his head covered and his hand out. I'm, I'm, woe is me, I'm a sinner, God, I need your mercy. And Jesus says, he's the one. He's the one that went home justified before a holy God because he is aware of his spiritual poverty. In this posture, in this posture, the poor, the patokos, open themselves up to receive the blessing from God. And it's captured poetically by the prophet Isaiah who wrote this, and this is God speaking through Isaiah. The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. There is blessing that comes. Blessed are the poor in spirit because they're in the right posture to receive deep and nourishing and eternal blessing from God. This blessing is not dependent then on anything the world can offer, nor is it dependent on anything the world can take away. William Barclay puts it this way, this beatitude lays down that the way to bliss, which the world can neither give nor take away, lies through the recognition of our own need and the conviction that that need can be met when we commit to God in perfect trust. How aware of you right, are you right now of your poverty before God? How in tune are you? How dependent and desperate are you for the mercy of God to receive blessing? I think what we get sucked into is this understanding that if I live the right way and if I take the right steps, I'm putting God in my debt and he must bless me. Jesus flips that over and he says, no, no, it's actually the patokos Numa, who are rightly postured to receive blessing from God. So what is this blessing then? What is the blessing? We're on the edge of our seat. We were on the edge of our seat, then we're shaking our heads, but now we understand, okay, I get this. What's the blessing? Jesus goes on to say, well, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Follower of Jesus who hears my voice right now, this is huge. Even if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, can I tell you, if you find your posture being that of spiritual poverty, I wanna guarantee you that if you, bring, if you posture yourself before this God, this blessing, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Let me, let me explain how huge this is and how upside down or right side up this is. The Jewish expectation of the kingdom of heaven was significant. 
So all the people who are sitting there listening to Jesus, they're Jewish people mostly. And they're hearing Jesus say, use this phrase, kingdom of heaven. This wasn't a new phrase to them. This was something they understood. And they, what they understood was this was going to be a physical, tangible thing that would happen when a king would come and militarily wipe out the Romans and establish forever Israel as the earth's superpower. So their expectation is even now in the time we live is that Israel would be the top dog, not whoever you think it is at the moment, you know, America, China's rising up, all that sort of stuff. Years ago, it was the Brits, you know, it, it, it was gonna be Israel forever. No one, no one could compare, no one could compete. That's what the expectation was. So when Jesus used this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, that's what they were thinking of. And they, their conviction, their belief, the reason they're sitting there is because they thought this is the one who's gonna be that king. This is gonna be the one who's gonna overpower the Romans. Jesus is constantly, constantly disappointing people. He's constantly failing at meeting people's expectations. Because as most of you will know, this is not what happened. Jesus didn't overcome Rome with violence and military power. He overcame the world with sacrifice and love. You know, Jesus would never have had that coronation ceremony that some of you watched last night. I was more interested in the football. We just got, we just got an expected king. We just got an expected king, King Charles. He was expected because his mum died and we knew it was coming. We knew that there would be this one person, this one person who would inherit the kingdom. We, we knew it was coming. And this one person surrounded by pomp and ceremony, a big boast to the world of wealth and power, maybe not the same power that the, the monarchy used to have, but still some level of power and influence. One person inherited the kingdom. And what you could say here is, Charles, yours is the kingdom now. Yours is the kingdom, the commonwealth. It's yours now. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had to choose today, Sam, you can either have the kingdom of the commonwealth or you can have the kingdom of God. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm choosing. How about you? Like, which is bigger? Which is better? Which has more reach? Which has more power? Which has more influence? Which is gonna be here forever? Which isn't? The kingdom of God. One man yesterday got given the kingdom of the commonwealth. Jesus is saying all of those who are poor in spirit, who are patokos numa, what they get is the kingdom of God. Come on, is anybody excited about this? The kingdom of God. In this beatitude, Jesus is declaring that entry and more than entry, inheritance, it's yours. If you want the kingdom of God, it doesn't come through power and privilege, it comes through poverty. I don't know if you ever have scrolled through videos on Facebook or YouTube or whatever. I've done it a couple of times. And one that I always get hooked on is, is when, and it's, it's so... I won't point out the irony, but um, you'll, you'll understand, is when people film that one of their mates giving like a wad of cash to a homeless person. Have you seen these videos? And like they'll give them the cash and there'll be a bit of tension because they're like, what are you doing, what are you doing? And then they open it up and like there's 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks, $10,000, you know, all this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I, 
I feel that my cynicism is that I feel like the people are doing the video for more, more for hits than for generosity, more for likes than the generosity, but that's okay, I'm cynical. What, what I do love, what hooks my heart though, is the moment that that person who's receiving the gift realises what's happened and you see the joy in their face. Like $100, $1,000, even $10,000 is not gonna be life-changing for this person. It could be, but it's probably not gonna be life-changing for this person. But you see in their face the joy at the gift they've received because of their poverty. How much more? How much more should us who are patokos numa, desperately poor, dependent on the mercy of God, and we've got our hat in front of us, our filthy hat, and into that hat, God pours the kingdom of God. Come on, that is life-changing. That is, we're flying upside down. Now we've been right way up, not because of anything we've done. We are poor. We've got nothing to bring to this deal. We've got nothing to offer. God pours out into our hat the kingdom of God. Here's another John Stock quote. Jesus contradicted all human judgments and all nationalistic expectations of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is given to the poor, not the rich, the feeble, not the mighty, to little children humble enough to accept it, not to soldiers who boast that they can obtain it by their own prowess. In our Lord's own day, it was not the Pharisees, the religious teachers who entered the kingdom, who thought they were rich, so rich in merit that they thanked God for their attainments, nor the zealots who dreamed of establishing the kingdom by blood and sword, but publicans and prostitutes, the rejects of human society, who knew that they were so poor, they could offer nothing and achieve nothing. All they could do was to cry out to God for mercy and he heard their cry. And church, we have to be on our knees. Most of us in the room are well-to-do. We're in control. We know what's coming tomorrow. We know, what, we know what's, what's coming and going. We, we think we've got a fair degree of control over the plane. But every now and again, if we're not careful, that plane can start to tilt. Start to tilt as our eyes get off the mercy of God and on our own power to control our lives. And if we're not careful, the tilt can go into an inversion. And when we start to climb, bang, we hit the ground. And we realise how poor we really are. This introduction to the introduction is the key to understanding and unlocking all that Jesus taught. I reckon as you start to read the Sermon on the Mount, you start to get overwhelmed with all that Jesus teaches. You can start to think, well, this is what Jesus, this is, this is what Jesus expects of me. And if I do it, if I do the things He tells me to do in this sermon, then I will be blessed. That's completely misunderstanding Jesus' teaching. What He starts with is the key to unlock it. No, no, the first thing you need to understand the first thing you need to understand and need to come to terms with, if you wanna live this way, if you wanna live the way of the kingdom, if you wanna have the kingdom, and if you wanna live like me, like the way of the King, the first step is admitting that you are powerless to do it. You're powerless to do it. You bring nothing to the table, nothing at all. And let the God of heaven pour out His love, pour out His blessing, pour out His power, pour His very kingdom into your life. And then, and then, this is what right side up living will look like. We need this correction. 
we don't need to walk out of the room today going, I need to do better. We need to walk out of the room going, God is awesome in His love for me. So who is flying upside down today? I reckon there might be a couple of people in the room right now who Jesus is speaking to. This, this same Jesus who spoke on the mountainside that day is speaking right now. We believe that. And I reckon there's some in particular and He's wanting to show you how what you might think is important, what you might think is worth chasing after is only going to cause you to crash and burn. You may have some wins, you may have some short-term joy and happiness, but ultimately the life you're living is heading towards a crash and burn. Jesus is offering you life today. Jesus is offering you abundant kingdom life to those who would reach out, patokos, numa, this posture and say, Jesus, I bring nothing to the table. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I give you my life and whatever, whatever it is and whatever's in it at the moment, I give it to you because I don't know what I'm doing. I wanna live right side up and I need your help to do it. And I reckon there might be a couple of people who have never done that before, who have ne- never said to Jesus, I give you my life. Have never said to Jesus, to use the language of the morning, help me to fly right side up. You've never had that moment where you've said, Jesus, I give you control. I I take the hands off the steering wheel of my life and I give you control. And He's drawing you into a posture today, not to trick you, not to embarrass you, not to make fun of you, not to condemn you. As spiritually you are kneeling before Him with your face covered and your hand out to Him. He's not getting you to that posture so that we can all laugh at you. He's getting to that posture so He can pour out the Kingdom of God into your life. That's what He wants for you. And it's the only way He can give it to you. That's what He wants to give you today. And I would love to give you that opportunity to receive it. Just every eye closed, every head bowed. If you are here today and you've never asked Jesus to do that for you, just can give you a simple, really easy prayer. As you imagine yourself postured in that patokos numa posture. It's simply this, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Make your mouth say those words, even if no sound comes out. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. love to pray for anyone who just prayed that prayer. So if you did pray that prayer, can I get you to stick your hand up real quick? I'd love to pray for you. Anyone today who prayed that prayer? Thank you, brother. Anyone else? Yes, awesome. Anyone else? I'd love to pray for you. Let's pray for these people who have asked Jesus today. God, we thank you. We thank you that you hear us. Thank you that you love us, that you care for us more than we deserve and far more than we realise. Jesus, for those who have cried out to You today, would You give them Your Kingdom? We know that You will because You said that You will. Jesus, would You pour out life into their hearts today, abundant life, Kingdom life. 
Jesus, may they see that right side up living is found in you and you only. And may this be the first day of their new life, walking with you and trusting you. Jesus, we thank you for your mercy today. Amen, amen. We just celebrate those couple of people who trust in Jesus. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.